brother. Okay, Acts 18. <clears throat> Let's start with verse 19. Paul has left Corinth. He founded the church in Corinth in the 18th chapter, concluding his second missionary journey. Right here at the end, here he is on his way back. He comes to Ephesus, verse 19, and left them there. But he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they desired him to tarry longer time with them, he consented not, but bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem. But I will return again unto you if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. Now remember he tried to go into Asia Minor in the second missionary journey. But God forbade him to. And so now on his way back home he stops by very briefly in Ephesus. He tells them later if it's the will of God he will come back to them. And that will be the third missionary journey. So he is going to get to go back to them at this uh, later time. In verse 22 when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church he went down to Antioch. And that's the headquarters of the church at this time. And that's from where he leaves on these missionary journeys. So he's back home. Verse 23. After he had spent some time there, he departed, went over all the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. So he's now making this third missionary journey. He's going up into the Galatian area in Phrygia, strengthening the disciples there and confirming those churches. Verse 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos... Born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them, and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly." And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly showing by the scriptures, that Jesus was Christ. And it came to pass that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. Let's stop there. Let's just pray. Father, we just thank you right now for your word. And for your presence, God, that you will instruct us today. God, encourage us and speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Okay, you may be seated. <coughs> First Corinthians 16. Let's go there. And in verse 8, Paul says this, But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. First Corinthians 16, 8. Let's read that together. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. Okay, I want to read it again. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. All right, let me show you on the map real quick. <coughs> the journeys of Paul here in this third missionary trip brother can you hold that for me come please on this side can everybody see this somewhat let me come down here on the floor maybe you can see a little better <coughs> okay the yellow the line right here is the third missionary journey he starts right here in antioch of syria 
Now remember, there's two Antiochs in the ancient world. There's Antioch of Asia Minor, right here. Antioch of Syria. And that would be just like modern day Syria, okay? He starts there in Antioch. He goes over into Cilicia, traveling through Iconium. This is the Galatian territory right here. The book of Galatians, of course, you're familiar with. So he is traveling back. Now the first and second missionary journey, you can see he's pretty much going over the same territory. The only difference this third missionary is journey is that he's going to go to Ephesus right over here. All right, you with me up to this point? But as he travels, he's going to go up into this Galatian territory here, confirming the churches, go over to Ephesus. Then he will go back up into Troas and over into Macedonia in the European continent. Okay, back into Macedonia. So he's pretty much covering the same territory again as he did in the previous missionary journey. He goes over into Philippi, Macedonia. Uh, Amphipolis, Amphipolis uh, Pella, and on down through here, he goes through Achaia, down to Corinth. And that will conclude the third missionary journey when he gets in Corinth. Then he'll backtrack up again, coming back through Rhodes, this area right here, and go back to, or, or actually go to Tyre, and then to Caesarea, and then eventually to Jerusalem. And he will be, of course, captured there and then go, go over to Rome. All right. So does that kind of help you all a little bit to give you an idea of where these territories are? Okay. This is Galatian area. This is Macedonia. All right. This is Asia Minor right here. He's going to go in here. The second missionary journey, he was not allowed by God to go into Ephesus. That's where he wanted to go. But God said no. Then he wanted to go up into Bithynia. In this part up in here. And God said no to that. So then God told him to go over into Macedonia. In this European continent right here. Okay. Y'all with me? But what's going to be different this time. Is that God says yes. To his going over into Asia Minor. Okay. So it, it really Asia wasn't ready. In the second missionary journey. But it is now ready for the gospel. Okay. Y'all with me at this point. Okay brother. you can Thank you. We may need that again. <clears throat> so, <coughs> Paul, again, we read these scriptures here that he's basically going back into Galatian territory in this third missionary journey, confirming the churches. The Bible tells us here in verse 24, let's read this, and a certain Jew named Apollos, born Alexander, an eloquent man, and mighty the scriptures came to Ephesus. Now, when he gets to Ephesus, again, the focal point again is going to be Ephesus at the first. The message this morning, the title is A Passion for Babylon. A Passion for Babylon. When I talk about Babylon this morning, I'm talking about figurative Babylon. I'm talking about the Roman Empire. Paul has a passion to go to Rome. So I'm going to try to finish the book of Acts this morning. So we're going to be covering a lot of territory. Okay? Which means I'm not going to read every chapter and every verse. Hopefully y'all have already done that or you will do that. Uh, in, your, in your convenience. But you will get enough information. Enough teaching. So that when you read these chapters and verses. You'll understand what is going on here. Okay. When he gets. Or, or when we, we first start out here. In this missionary journey. Paul is making his way into Galatians. He's going to Ephesus. We find out there's a man by the name of Apollos. Who makes his way to Ephesus. He's a Jew of Alexandria. Alexandria, Egypt. He is a, a Jew of the dispersion. 
he doesn't live in Jerusalem. He lives over in Egypt. Now, this man, the Bible says, has a partial knowledge of the gospel. But he's not saved. Okay? Are you with me at this point? Now, <clears throat> there are ten things. We're going to, in this chapter, ten adversaries to the gospel. Paul said this. He said in, in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 8 and 9. He said, I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. He said, because there's a great door of effectual that has opened unto me, but there are many adversaries trying to shut that door. There are ten of them in this chapter, uh, Acts 18, flowing into 19. The 19th chapter is Paul in Ephesus. And there are ten adversaries that are trying to shut the door of the gospel. Okay? One of them is, in a sense, this first scripture reading here where a man by the name of Paulus goes from Egypt to Ephesus. This man only has part of the truth. He only has maybe a quarter of the truth. He doesn't have all the truth. I would say he's not even a Christian at this point. <clears throat> you with me here? The Bible tells us right here that he is instructed in the way of the Lord. His name is Apollos. Instructed in the way of the Lord. He knows the Old Testament. But he only knows the baptism of John. So then what does he know? He knows about, good, he knows about repentance. But what does he know about Jesus is my point. What does he know about the Messiah? All he knows about Jesus is up to John. Okay, he doesn't know Jesus the Messiah be beyond John. All he knows is that Jesus is the Messiah that was to come and take away the sins of the world. That's what John preached. And John baptized for the uh, baptism unto repentance. Saying that they should believe on him which would come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. So this man, he's preaching the Old Testament. He knows the way of the Lord. He's a Jew of the dispersion. And he's heard that Messiah has come. He's heard that John has declared that Messiah, the Lamb of God, is, has come. That's all he knows. Are you with me? So he's not even a Christian. He's not even in the church right now. So in a sense, there is this adversity to the gospel is people who have part truth. Have, have just a little truth, but they haven't gone on into the more perfect will of God. And that's where a lot of people are in so-called Christendom today, is that they go to church and maybe that particular church takes them to the cross. Preaches the finished work, okay? That Jesus died for their sins on the cross. They need to repent of that sin. But they leave them there. They don't take them beyond Calvary in the Gospels. They don't take them into the book of Acts. Pentecostal experience of the infilling of the Holy Ghost and water baptism in Jesus' name. They'll leave them there. And then some churches, they'll preach Passover and Pentecost, but they won't preach tabernacles. They won't tell you there's a third dimension in the Spirit. Are you with me here? 
this man right here, all he knows is that Messiah is come, and that's pretty much it. So he's not a Christian. So what's he preaching? He's preaching what he knows. He's preaching Old Testament. He was mighty in the Scriptures, the Bible says. He's fervent in the Scriptures. Praise God. He knows the Old Testament probably better than anybody in his day. And when he preaches, people, he's got their attention. He has the ability, Apollos has the ability to take people to the stars. He is a very powerful man and a very fervent man in the spirit. You with me here up to this point? But he only knows that Messiah has possibly come, that Jesus was here, and that John was a forerunner preaching. And that's all he knows. So he's preaching what he knows. And so Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus go to hear this man preach. When they hear him preach there in church that day, they start talking to each other. <clears throat> Aquila and Priscilla. Priscilla's the lady. Aquila's the man. And they say, hey, this guy's something else. He knows that Old Testament and he knows the baptism of John. He knows what John said about Jesus. But that's as far as he's gone. And so we can, hey, when we get through here today and when he gets through preaching today we're going to go and talk to this man Apollos and show him the way of God more perfectly <coughs> excuse me because all he knows right now is the baptism of John he doesn't know about water baptism in Jesus name he doesn't know about the infilling of the Holy Ghost he doesn't have that experience yet but we're going to take him aside. And we're going to show him the way of God more perfectly. He's going to get, come into the church. He's going to become a Christian. And then we're going to send him to Corinth. With letters declaring how, how awesome this man is. And that the Corinthian church is to receive him. Now when he gets in Corinth as a spirit filled preacher now. This man is something else. In fact, when he preaches, some of the people in Corinth say that he's such an awesome preacher, he's better than Paul is. He's such an awesome preacher, we'd rather hear him than Paul or Peter. Are you with me? This man had the ability to take him to the heavens, man. And they loved to hear him preach. And so later on, you know, uh, he goes back, I say he, Apollos goes back to Ephesus they want him to go back to Corinth. And Apollos says, no, I will not be a part of in any schismatic uh, situation in Corinth. I don't want to be the reason why there's divisions in the church. So I'm not going to go back to Corinth and preach for them like I want, you know, like they want me to. Because it's causing a division. Because some people are saying, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Peter. And then, and then the real spiritual ones are saying, I'm of Jesus and don't need a preacher. Hello, somebody. <clears throat> There's some people like that. Hallelujah. But anyway, they, they, they love Apollos. I mean, he was really something. I'm trying to show you this man, the, the level of his walk, the level of his understanding, and how God was using him. But he refused to be a part of any schismatic thing in the church, any division. He would not let that happen in the house of God. Give God praise. <clears throat> Now, the Bible says, though, if you will look in verse 28, that he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly shown by the Scripture, that Jesus was the Christ. 
So now this, this adversary, so to speak, against the gospel, this partial truth. Now I will tell you this, you will come across a lot of people in the religious world, in churchianity, and they've got part of the truth. They know Jesus died for them on the cross. You with me? Many have been water baptized in the titles. But what we have to do is show them the way of God more perfectly. Show them water baptism in the name of Jesus. And the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Now they might claim to be in the church. But this man, the Bible says, was fervent. He was mighty in the scriptures. A powerful preacher. But yet still not a Christian. You've got to hear what I'm telling you here. Wow. And so we flow into this and the answer is preach the gospel. The, ad, the, the answer to that adversary of part truth is to tell people all the truth. Praise God. Thank God for the truth that they have. Thank God for the truth that they know. But they need to know the way of God more perfectly. Now, okay, so Apollos goes over into Corinth. In verse 1, it tells us that. And, of course, he starts preaching there. And then Paul, having passed through the upper coast, he, he goes over into Asia Minor, into Ephesus, and he finds certain disciples. Okay, in Ephesus, right? He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. They are a lot like Apollos. In fact, maybe they were Apollos' disciples. Maybe they, they weren't filled with the Holy Ghost or baptized in Jesus' name because they were listening to Apollos' ministry and he could only take them so far. Are you with me? So Paul comes across, across these 12 men and he asked them two questions. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And then he says, Unto what then were you baptized? Because... They said, we haven't heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. We don't, know, we don't know about Pentecost. We don't know about the outpouring of the Spirit. You mean there's been a Pentecost? You mean people have been filled with the Holy Ghost and they've been plunged into the Messianic Kingdom? They've been plunged into the age of the Spirit? And, and we don't even know anything about that. Paul says, well, I recognize that you, you believe. Now, notice this. He says this, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? The way he <clears throat> phrases it, it's not just a question. It's like, there's something wrong here. Because if you were a true believer, then you would have the Holy Ghost, and you would be water baptized in Jesus' name. That's the way... Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? You haven't received the Holy Ghost and you believe? Well, he didn't stand up and start preaching a message on the Holy Ghost. He didn't stand up and preach a message on receiving the Spirit. What he does is he says, well, there's something wrong here. How were you baptized? They said we were baptized under John's baptism. Well, then, then again, we have this same thing, John's baptism here. We have Paul explaining that, okay? He said unto them, Under what then were you baptized? They said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism 
of repentance. Looking, are you with me here on this scripture? Saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. So what does he preach? You claim to be believers and you don't have the Holy Ghost? Get, get the tone of my voice here. Because in the early church, to be a true believer meant, meant that you automatically got the Holy Ghost at baptism. That's why Paul doesn't stand up and preach to them and tell them how to get the Holy Ghost. You with me here? He said, there's, he's going on, oh, you don't have the Holy Ghost and you're a believer? Something's wrong here. Oh, how were you baptized? Because see, the early church, water, listen, water baptism and spirit baptism was one event two parts so Paul says if you don't have the Holy Ghost then there must be something wrong with your baptism Amen. so he starts focusing on baptism they've already been baptized once before under John's baptism but he says well let's try to figure out what's going on here you claim to be a believer but don't have the Holy Ghost here uh, so well is it your baptism let's talk about your baptism here Oh, you've got to hear what I'm saying. These people believe to a point, but they're not Christians. You've got to hear what I'm talking about. Because everybody in the church world has a message, and they're saying, well, this is all it takes to become a Christian. I'm trying to show you in the Word of God what the apostles preached. They, Aquila and Priscilla find a man, Apollos, who has part of truth. They show him the way of God more perfectly. Paul finds 12 men who claim to be believers who don't have the Holy Ghost. Well, it must be something wrong with your baptism then. Because when you get baptized right, you automatically get the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> so to be a true believer means this. That you are filled with the Spirit. Baptized in Jesus' name. That's what puts you in the kingdom of God. That's what puts you in the church. It is not just going to church and accepting the Lord as your Savior. And that's it. It's much more than that. If you are a true believer, the Bible said, out of your, if you believe as the Scripture has said, not as men say, but as the scripture has said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit, that they that believe on him should receive. John 7, 37 and 38. You with me here? So if you believe the Bible way, you'll get the Holy Ghost. So John said, look at this. Uh, uh, Paul's saying this. If you believe the Bible way, then you should have the Holy Ghost. Because if you believe the scriptures, then you'll get the Holy Ghost. So it's not just going to church, sitting on a pew and say, I accept Jesus as my Savior. And thank you're in the church. And thank you're on your way to heaven. I know that's the majority of the church preaching today. But that is not in the Bible, my friend. Prove it. Well, some of you will say Romans 10, 9 and 10. That thou shalt confess the Lord 
with thy mouth and believe in thine heart that God is raising from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Confession is more than just saying, I believe Jesus died for me. Confession includes water baptism in his name. Confession includes receiving the Holy Ghost because you can't even say he's Lord without the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians 12. So I'm trying to tell you that we've got a responsibility as a church to go out there and find those people in all these church systems that know God to a point, but they haven't received the Holy Ghost since they believed. And so we got to ask them, how were you baptized? Because if you're baptized right in the early church, then you got the Holy Ghost at the same time. It's not like you come to the altar and repent. And then get water baptized in Jesus' name. And then six months later, get the Holy Ghost. That's the way we do it in America. In the early church, it was repent. Water baptism in Jesus' name. And they were immediately filled with the Holy Ghost as soon as they came out of the water. It wasn't anything like America. Get in the Word. So... They claim to be believers. And if they were okay, Paul said, oh, oh, you're okay. Yeah, you've been to the altar. You've accepted the Lord. No, 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 no. He knows what it takes. <coughs> okay, watch. This is an adversary to the truth. Part truth is an adversary to full truth. You know why? Because if you think you're saved... By just accepting Jesus as your Savior. And you've never been filled with the Spirit. Never been water baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sins. You go through life thinking you're okay. You go through life thinking I'm a good Christian. And then when somebody comes along and shows you that hey just accepting the Lord does not plunge you into the kingdom. you got to be plunged into the kingdom in the, in the Spirit. By the Spirit. You with me? Then people have a hard time believing that because they've heard it preached the other way for so long so that now part truth becomes an adversary to full truth. Okay? So what Paul does then here, here, here let's see how he works this out, okay? <coughs> All right. Look, verse 4, then, then said Paul, John barely baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people, that they should believe on him which should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. Okay. When they heard this they were baptized. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus. Well they've already been baptized once before. Why do they need to get re-baptized? Re they were baptized under John's baptism. Why do they need to get baptized a second time? Because this time, it's to, listen, it's baptism in the name of Jesus. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, if you've been baptized in the titles, and some people say, well, what difference does it make? Well, it must make some difference. Because these believers were re-baptized. The only reason was the name of Jesus. Again, he's not preaching to them about how to get the Holy Ghost. Because he knows that if he can get their baptism right, they get baptized correctly. When they get baptized, they get the Spirit of God. Hello, somebody. <coughs> Are you getting the point? So let's, let's talk about this. At one point, their experience was in date. 
Because they believed everything that they knew. End date. But when Paul stood up and he preached the truth, their experience was out of date. Then when they got baptized in Jesus' name and got filled with the Holy Ghost, now their experience is up to date. So in date, out of date, up to date is what you find in these believers. And I want you to know, church, you're looking at a, I was raised in the Lutheran church. I wasn't raised in this. But somebody like Paul and somebody like Aquila and somebody like Priscilla came to me and showed me the way of God more perfectly. And guess what? This Lutheran went down in water in the name of Jesus and got rebaptized. And this Lutheran got filled with the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. It's real. Oh, praise God. Amen. It wasn't long ago I was preaching along these lines in Acts chapter 10 about how the Gentiles came into the kingdom. And I had a, a woman in the church at that time and a man in the church at that time. She's been in America, or she's been in the United States, and up in Canada. She's ministered in different parts of the world according to her own testimony. When she heard me preach this, it wasn't until Wednesday that she got baptized in Jesus' name. She had never seen or heard that truth preached before as far as I know it. But I began to talk to her on the phone after I preached that message. She said, I caught it as soon as you said it. She said, when you said it, I said, you know what? I need, I've never been baptized before, number one. But I need to be baptized in Jesus' name. So we baptized her on a Wednesday night in Jesus' name. This is the word of the Lord. This ain't no preacher saying this. This is Paul saying this. And this is the word of God saying this. Alright, so watch this. So they're, they're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Rebaptized. When Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. As soon as they come out of the water. He don't say wait six months. As soon as they come out of the water, he lays hands on them. They get the Holy Ghost right then and right there. Now, how did they know that they got the Holy Ghost? <coughs> how did they know? Well, we've gone through this in the book of Acts. We've seen devils cast out. We've seen people heal. We've seen all kinds of miracles take place in people's lives. But they were still lost. All right. So it's not that you have some kind of supernatural revelation of God. The Lord Jesus appearing to you. Paul had Jesus appearing to him. He was still lost. It's not because you got healed in your body. Not because you felt some kind of power come on you. That power that came on you probably was the Holy Ghost, you know. But the way they knew they got the Holy Ghost was the same way they knew they got it on the day of Pentecost. They got it the same way. And when they got the Holy Ghost, they got it just like they did at the beginning. And they spake with tongues and prophesied. So when we're praying for people to get the Holy Ghost, I can see the glory of God on their face. I can see them light up like a light bulb. I can see the power of God come on them. But I don't tell them they're filled with the Holy Ghost until I hear them speak with tongues. Because that is the universal sign of the New Testament book of Acts church that they got the Holy Ghost. Praise God. See, I love this message. 
So you just can't run off to any church you want to and just join their membership and fellowship because if you have more truth than they do, you've got to bring them to where you are. Hello. So, so Paul, yeah. Whoa. Excited about what you know. Excited about what you believe. But you're not even a Christian yet. Wow. It's hard for people who've been in church forever to receive that. But anyway, it's still the word, so we'll preach it. The Bible said all the men were about 12. And now, so they're speaking in tongues, they're prophesying. So he overcome that adversary. There are about 12 men. He went into the synagogue, spake both for the space of three months. He goes in, of course, as he always would. Goes into the synagogue of the Jews. Adversary, I guess you could say number two or three, if you're keeping count. Okay? Are you with me? He goes into the synagogue of the Jews. Well, again, why do I get into this? I got to get this apologetic mode, which means explaining what we believe and why we believe it. Not apologizing for the message. Some people say that this message that we preach and the message that the apostles preach in the book of Acts is only for Gentiles. That it's not for the Jews. Where do you get that? Even after Paul became an apostle to the Gentiles, he still in his missionary journeys all the way to the very end goes into the synagogue of the Jews and preaches Christ to them. Telling them that they need Jesus. So it's not just enough to believe that there is going to be a Messiah or that there is a Messiah. You've got to know who that Messiah is. And you've got to be, you've got to be immersed into Him. Into His body by the new birth. You've got, you know, that's why they preach Jesus and the finished work. You preach Jesus and the finished work and He'll plunge you into Himself by filling you with His Spirit and taking His name. You got it up to this point? So he goes into this synagogue of the Jews and for three months he preaches. But what does he get? Adversity. The door is open. God opened the door. But it's not an easy road. He's standing there preaching for three months. And divers or many of these people begin to reject the gospel that he's preaching. Jewish people. Are you with me? <coughs> Rejecting the gospel. So he leaves that place, the Bible says. Are you with me? And he goes over into a, a man there who had a school. His name was Tyrannus. Tyrannus. He's got a school of some kind there. And Paul says, okay, you don't want the message here in the synagogue. So I'll go over into the school of Tyrannus. And the Bible says he is there for two years in that school preaching and teaching the Word of God. Two years. When you get to verse 10, the Bible says that all of Asia heard the word. So that it goes from 12 men to all of Asia. I'm talking to him. He said all of Asia heard the word. That man stood in a, in a house for two years. I said two years. Not 20 years. Two years time. And because Paul preached in a house and taught for two years, all Asia heard the gospel. <clears throat> two years time. That's powerful. That means some people were coming from Asia Minor. For example, like Colossae. People from Colossae. 
Paul, you read Colossians, he said he never even went to Colossians. He never went to Colossae personally. But somebody heard the message of Paul while he was in that school of Tyrannus for two years. And they went, after they got converted, they went over to Colossae and they started a church in Colossae. <coughs> Paul didn't even have to start it. But through his ministry for two years in a house, people come in and hearing the word of God. And they leave from there and they go there and start churches. And so you'll hear churches like the church of Smyrna, the church of Thyatira, the church of Laodicea. You with me here? Church of Pergamos. All these, the seven churches of, of Asia Minor. Those churches were started not by Paul going to those specific locations and preaching there. He stood in a house for two years and preached in that same place for two years. And so they would come to him. They would hear the gospel and they would go from there so that Colossae was started and, and Thyatira was started and Laodicea was started and Pergamos was started and Smyrna was started. These various churches in Asia Minor in the book of Revelation because Paul preached for two years in one house. All of Asia. That puts me under conviction. <clears throat> We've been going on, in, you know, going on for 10 years here in Odessa, Texas. And I tell you right now that not everybody even in Odessa has heard the gospel. Not everybody in Odessa knows the gospel. Are you with me right now? But it took him two years standing up in a house preaching and teaching and then people so on fire they took that word that they heard and when they took that word they heard out there to, the, to Asia Minor the whole Asia Minor heard the gospel. That's powerful. That's the kind of church the Lord wants to raise up right here. A church where the word is going forth. And people go from here and go out there and reach the lost. And bring them into the kingdom of God. And churches started from here in other places. God wants that kind of church raised up here. That is awesome to me. Think about that. Two years. From 12 to all of Asia Minor in two years. Give God a hand clap praise. <coughs> so he, came, he, he overcame that adversary by just leaving where he wasn't welcome. And going somewhere where he could be welcome. And where people did want to hear it. So for two years he's standing up preaching and people are just flowing out of that thing like a river man. Look at your neighbor and say, God wants to use you to preach the gospel. I didn't say necessarily to stand behind a pulpit. But when you leave here, you can go out there and you can preach the gospel. You don't need a pulpit to stand behind. You just need a street corner somewhere. You just need a house somewhere. <clears throat> when we started in Odessa, Texas, we started the church in our house with about two people. Hello. So God, you just open up your doors of your house, start teaching Bible studies, and you'll see people come in the kingdom of God, and the church will grow. I'm telling you, it can happen. And it is happening. <coughs> so you come against, you got adversity. You got some people who don't want to hear it. We'll just find somebody that does. Because there's somebody that wants to. That's what Paul did. You don't want to hear it. I'll just go over here in Tyrannus school. He's got a school going on over here. And we'll just, we'll just have church right there. 
Don't have to have a sanctuary, you know. Don't have to have a synagogue. I just go over here in the school. Ooh, got quiet, didn't it? <laughs> Next verse, 11. <clears throat> and God wrought spiritual... Boy, I got to really move here if I'm going all the way to Rome this morning. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. Say special miracles. Amen. So that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons. And the diseases departed from them. And evil spirits went out of them. Next adversity. Evil spirits. Ephesus. Are y'all with me? I know I'm flying here, but you, I'm not flying nearly as fast as I need to be. But the adversary now that has to be dealt with is evil spirits. Ephesus is the center of all type of mystery religions. It's the center of the New Age movement. Demons have taken over Ephesus. Demons are in control of Ephesus. And so Paul, one day, he's over there working, you know, building his talits or the prayer shawls. They call them, you know, tent. They build tents, but it's the talit. He just reaches down one day. And here's about somebody that's got a demon. He reaches over there. He gets his oil. Pours his oil on there. Has the church pray over it. And he says, go take, to that, take this to that person who's got a spirit. No, no, no. That's not what he did. Let me explain to you something here. The occult was rampant there. In Ephesus, they had what was called Ephesian letters. Which means they, they, would, they would pronounce an incantation over a piece of paper with some writing on it. They would take those letters and pin them to their bodies. Believing that it brought them good luck. Like rabbit's foot or something else. You know, superstitious. And so God, He does special miracles for special circumstances. You with me? So that from the body of Paul are taking these cloths. And spirits are cast out and people are healed. Their diseases are healed. It doesn't tell us to take prayer cloths and anoint them with oil and send them out. It wasn't even anointed prayer cloth. You know what it was? Paul's over there. He's working on his tent. Talit. His sweat starts running down his face. He goes, hmm. Oh, that person's got a devil? Here, go. Take it over there to him. His sweat cloth is what was used. And even then, it was a special miracle. It wasn't something that we're supposed to follow and do. I'm not saying it's wrong. God will honor your faith. If you anoint a prayer cloth or whatever and anoint it with oil and pray over it. And you send it out somewhere. We've heard about Taiwan. A miracle took place in Taiwan. We sent that prayer cloth out. Well, I'll tell you what, it wasn't the prayer cloth that healed her. 
The missionary asked us, will you pray over this? And we're going to go back to Taiwan. We're going to take it to her and believe that cancer is going to go out of her body. But I guarantee you the prayer cloth didn't do it. Jesus did it. God did it. I didn't do it. You didn't do it. The prayer cloth didn't do it. We just agreed together as a church that God is our healer and that God is able to heal her. And we spoke healing. We didn't just pray for her healing. We, listen. Such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus, rise up. He didn't even pray for that person. He just said, be it done. He got the power of returning. So he said, be healed in the name of Jesus. They took it back. Doctors did some exams on her. Completely healed. Cancer. Cancer. Healed. Just like that. What I'm trying to tell you, though, is that it was a sweat cloth. And it was a special miracles. So then the adversary demons here are overcome by the power of God in a very special way. If you're in a situation that needs a special miracle, God can bring it to you. Now, whenever this is taking place and people are getting, you know, demons are getting exercised out of them. Why y'all get quiet on me when I talk about demons? We have power over them. In the, not in ourselves, but in the name of Jesus. You gotta be afraid a person's got a devil. Just cast them out. Now, when Paul, when this is happening, these spiritual miracles and devils are getting cast out. There are seven sons of Sceva that see these miracles taking place and they say, hey, we can do that. So they go over to somebody that's got a devil. And they say this. Are you with me? Talking to that demon. They say we adjure thee by Jesus. Whom Paul preacheth to come out of them. The spirit inside of that man jumps on them tears their clothes off of their body they run out of the house naked but before they rip the clothes off of this man the demons are smart enough to know this Jesus I know Paul I know but who are you see the devil even the devil's smart enough to know Jesus and Paul but when it comes to an imposter they say Jesus I know and Paul I know but who are you? You are an imposter. You don't have the right or the authority to use the name of Jesus if you're not first called by that name and plunged into his kingdom. See, I want to be known in hell. <laughs> I don't want to be just known in heaven. I want to be known in hell. And I for sure don't want to be called an imposter whenever somebody's got a devil. Oh yeah, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who in the world are you, Jerry Carter? I don't know nothing about you. I don't even know your name. You're no threat to me. No, I want them to say, Jesus I know, and Jerry Carter I know. We got to get out of here. 
I want to be known in hell. I want to shake hell, not just be known in heaven. I for sure don't want to be seen as an imposter. By proxy, trying to cast out devils. You know what I'm talking about by proxy? We adjure thee by Jesus whom Paul preacheth to leave them. Well, you better be careful about dealing with spirits if, you, if you're not filled with the Holy Ghost baptized in Jesus' name. Because they'll look at you and laugh at you. And then they'll rip their, maybe rip the clothes off your body. <laughs> they don't listen to imposters. Demons are not moved by imposters. They're moved by the name of Jesus and the power of that name and the spirit that's in that person. All right, so we got the victory. Hallelujah over these spirits. Yeah, y'all can read this if you don't believe me that it's there. It's there. Amen. Are y'all still awake there? And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also to one at Ephesus and fear fell on them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. It's always to glorify Him. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts in the occult brought their books together and burned them before all men. They counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Hallelujah church. Let's keep reading then. Now, so, okay, praise God. We've got this occult literature. That's an adversary to the gospel. False literature and philosophy and evil literature is an adversary to the gospel, to the word of God, and to the truth. It is damning men and women to hell. But the Word of God is growing and increasing. The Word is being preached. So the way you overcome the false occult literature and evil literature and philosophy is by declaring the Word of God. And when you declare the Word of God, people say, you know what? There's no power in this occult literature. There's no power in this false philosophy. And they'll bring their books and they'll burn them. So the answer to false literature is to preach the word. <coughs> Look at all these adversaries he's dealing with. Now before I go on, I got to tell you about one that's, that's slipping in right here. It's the adversary in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 9, we read that Paul said, No, I'm going to tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door of affection was opened unto me, but there are many adversaries. They're trying to shut the door. I know you want me to come here, and I know that I said I would come to Corinth, but I can't come right now. Now, what's the background of this? He wrote the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, from Ephesus right here. You with me? Say, 1 Corinthians was written right here. What happened was this, is that a man by the name of Chloe came from Corinth. He had just founded that church in Acts 18. Chloe gets over there and says, Paul, you know, on top of everything you're dealing with right now, we got a problem in the church in Corinth. 
We've got schisms and divisions. And one says I'm of Paul. One says I'm of Peter. Another says I'm of Apollos. And, and then we got the real spiritual ones that say I don't even need a preacher. I follow Jesus. There's division in the church. And they got so many questions about so many things. And the, the, there's some real problems in the church in Corinth. That's the last thing Paul needed. To hear that there's problems in the church. I mean, they don't even understand the Lord's Supper. I mean, they're having love feast, Chloe says. Now watch this. Hang in here. Chloe's telling him all this stuff that's going on. There are divisions in the church. There's confusions concerning the gifts of the Spirit. Don't even know how to take the Lord's Supper. They have a love feast before the supper. And before we know it, the big ones push the little ones out of the way. And the little ones don't have anything to eat. The big ones eat everything up. <laughs> I mean, Paul, it's a mess. It's crazy. They're fussing. They're fighting. They're all kinds of problems, you know. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Got some people, they started the church of Peter, and one started the church of Paul, one started the church of Apollos, and then we got another group, he, they don't want anybody preaching to them. they just following Jesus, doing their own thing, super spiritual. Paul, it's a mess in Corinth. When he gets this information from Chloe, you got to put Corinthians together because he wrote Corinthians there, that's where you'll get this information. When he gets this information, he is so angry that if he goes right then, he's going to take their heads off. I'm telling you the truth. He is so fired up and so furious about what is going on there. He said, oh God, you, you got to read Corinthians. Read 1st Corinthians, you'll know what I'm talking about. He looks over there and he says, well, I know Timothy's there, Chloe, with you. And he's having a hard time past, or, or preaching to these people. But I tell you what I'm going to do. Instead of me going myself, I'm going to send Titus with a letter. Now, he wrote them a letter, 1 Corinthians 1, 5, that we don't have in the Bible. Okay? 1 Corinthians 1, 5 will, will give you that information. And then we, have, we do have what we call 1st and 2nd Corinthians. It's really probably 2nd and 3rd Corinthians. Are you with me here? And so what Paul does is he says, okay, I'm going to write this letter. It's 1st Corinthians to us. The one we do have in the Bible. He sends that to the church in Corinth at the hands of Titus. Are you here? Trying to straighten out all of this mess that's there. Says, better you go, Titus, than I go. Because, I mean, if I go, it's not going to be good for them or me. So I'll just write a letter, and I'll try to take care of the mess by letter, and I'll send it by the hand of Titus. And so Titus gets over there with the letter. Hello. Praise God. And the letter straightens out the mess. Thank God. And we'll see later on that, Ty, that Paul goes up from this part of the world. He goes up into Troas. He's waiting for Titus to come back to see what type of news he had concerning the church in Corinth. If the, if the mess got straightened out. Paul waits around in Troas. Titus doesn't show up. So he goes from Troas over to Philippi. And Titus finally shows up and says, hey, Paul, it's fixed. Paul says, thank God. 
thank God you were able to take care of it because if I'd have gone, it'd have been bad for them and for me. <laughs> Woo! Praise God! Thank God for apostolic power and authority. Thank God that all it took was a letter. You don't believe me until you read the book. Read the book. Read, the, read 1 Corinthians. So now he's dealing with that in the midst of all this other adversity. He's got adversity in the church. Hmm. Give God praise. I feel the Holy Ghost today. Okay, you with me here? The Word of God's growing. Verse 21, after these things were ended, Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. See, he's got a passion for Babylon or a passion for Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. He said, I can't leave right now to go to Corinth because I've got to deal with this situation here. God's opened a door for me here in Asia, so I'm going to tarry here until Pentecost. He wrote that in 1 Corinthians. He's telling them, I can't come to you right now. I want to come to you. I will come to you, but I can't come now because God has opened up a door for me right here. But there's many adversaries trying to shut the door, and you're just one of many. See, the devil was trying to get Paul out of Ephesus <clears throat> so the devil stirred a problem in the church in Corinth to get Paul out of Ephesus because Paul was turning the world upside down in praise God I feel the Holy Ghost see a lot of church problems and a lot of independent saints in the church are the devil working through them to get to a man of God to get him out of a particular location where God has planted him to bring in a harvest And so you'll see it as Paul writes Corinthians. said, I can't come to you right now. I'm going to tarry here. Are you with me? I'm going to come, but I can't come right now. But what I'll do is I'll, I'll send this letter to you. And notice this. He starts out. The, what, what he does that letter, the whole letter is answering their questions. About marriage. About the Lord's Supper. About the gifts of the Spirit. He's answering all these crazy questions. And trying to deal with the mess that's there. But he refused to let the devil get him out of his place. Be, listen. Because of carnal Christians in Corinth. That Corinthian church was as carnal a bunch that there was in the world. And on the other hand they were spiritual. Babies in some areas and spiritual in other, other areas. But extremely carnal and easily given over to the wiles of the devil. God's good. I'm glad, thank God, that Paul didn't jump up when that little problem arose. And leave his position and his post in Asia here and run over to Corinth. Because the work's not finished yet. All right, so the adversity in Corinth. Y'all are, those of you keeping notes, I don't know what number that is. <coughs> you with me here? Yeah. He said, ultimately, I want to go to Rome. Okay, verse 23. In the same time, there arose no small stir about that way. Now we got another adversity. For a certain man, Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen. 
whom he called together with the workmen of the like occupation and said, Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, you see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all of Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. So that not only this, our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana the Ephesians. Now, I'll, I'll go on from there. Hello. So now we got another adversity here, Demetrius. He's a part of a business group. He's got a, there's businessmen here. You with me? And now, what you have to understand is there's fixed to be a mob uprising. I mean, people are going to get upset. Now, and Demetrius is the one that's going to be the fuel for the fire. So he goes to the local, you know, business club. And he says, we got a problem. There's a man by the name of Paul here who's turning Asia upside down. He's telling them there's, there's no, no so-called gods like Diana. You know, there's only one God. His name's Jesus. <coughs> and our occupation is in danger. We're going to lose money on this deal. We got to shut this down now. Now, what you need to understand is the timing of all of these events. There is what is called May Day in Asia, in Ephesus. May Day is a lot like what they have in Louisiana, Mardi Gras. May Day, everybody comes from everywhere and they have a big old drunken feast there in May. You with me? So multitudes of people have come into Ephesus at this time and they're buying little bitty shrines of Diana's temple. You know, coppersmiths and all these people, are, they're, they're producing and making these little shrines of the false goddess and, and the temple, you know. So they're making big money because it's May. It's May Day. Are you with me here? Give God some praise. <clears throat> so now this business community is going to rise up against the gospel because it's affecting their ability to make their little shrines and sell their little idols of Diana. And he goes on, he says this. He says, not only are, is our craft in danger here, he said, but you know what? The whole world worship is Diana. Her temple is in danger. The worship of Diana is in danger. Now, this Diana is not the Diana of the Greeks. Beautiful. Hello. But the temple she's in is. The temple of Diana was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. And when Alexander the Great was born, they burned that temple to the ground. When he was old, they were still working on it. Beautifying, rebuilding this temple. 127 large pillars stood there. Alexander said this when he got old. He said, I'll give you the funds to complete this temple if you'll put my name on it. They declined. Some of the most beautiful sculpture could be found in the temple there of Diana in Ephesus. You, if you were a sculptor by hand, you wanted your work there. So the greatest artists put their artwork there. The greatest sculptors put their sculptures there. And to be carved into one of those pillars as a prince was an honor. 
And so this seven, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, the temple of Diana was there. And this Demetrius says, if this continues, this temple is going to be in danger. And the worship of Diana is going to be in danger. In fact, the whole banking system is going to be shut down. Because when you bring your money, you bring your money to the temple of Diana. And in a little dark place, somewhat like the Holy of Holies, there that goddess Diana was located. And behind her, there was a bank where everybody put their money to be protected by the goddess. So you know what? If she goes down and she's false, her temple's going to be in disrepair. Come on, are you with me? She's going to be, she's not going to be worshipped anymore. And the whole banking system's going to collapse by the preaching of this man. Paul, we got to shut him down. <coughs> now, where are you getting all that? I didn't get it out of the Bible. I did it out of studying history and research. That's what they were up against here. Now, are you with me now? Give God some praise. And so as a result of this, this big old mob gathers together. And for two straight hours, they say, great is the goddess Diana of the Ephesians. And they're shouting their praises to the goddess Diana for two hours straight. And some people have a problem coming to church and hearing the word of God for an hour and a half. It is an adversity and an adversary to the church and the Word of God. You know what? I'm going to stand and preach two, three, four hours if I want to. If they can stand there for two solid hours doing nothing but say, Great is the goddess Diana of the Ephesians. Chanting and chanting and chanting and chanting. And all they did was chant that one slogan or Logan over and over and over. I can stand in the house of my God. And I can worship the name of my God Jesus. And I can declare the word of God for hours. Praise God. The Bible says in verse 29, the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. This large theater said they, the amphitheater could seat 30,000 people. And they're all rushing in. The whole city's rushing in there. Wow, man. It's, it's a big deal going on, you know. Hallelujah. What did God, we had that kind of walk with God. <laughs> that we could shake Odessa and Midland up to the point that we'd start either a revival or a riot. And certain of the chief of Asia were his friends. Who are these Asiarchs? Who are these Asiarchs? These, these chief of Asia that are the friends of Paul. They are the ones who are in charge of the Olympic Games. They were friends to Paul. Are you with me right now? Friends to the Apostle Paul. Paul, when he writes his letters, he often uses sports to illustrate Christian walking. You know, we've been taught at times past, at least I have been, that, that sports was wrong and evil and a sin. Well, Paul had some men who were in charge of those games who were friends of his. And he wrote about them in his letters. So there goes your sin. The Bible said, and they drew Alexander the multitude of the Jews, putting him forward. And Alexander beckoned with a hand and would have made his defense unto the people. Are you with me here? Now, verse 30 says, Paul wanted to go in that thing. They're ready to lynch him, man. They're ready to take him apart. 
And Paul said, let me go in there. I need to talk to him. What a man of God. Let me, uh, not some bashful, backwards, intimidated, weak, whipped puppy. I'll, I'll go right into, I'll preach to 30,000. Let me talk to him. Let me talk to him. Paul, I don't think that's a good idea. Thank God for those friends that he had. You know, people in the church and the, the Asiarchs there. Thank God. Said, Paul, you better, now we know that you're not afraid, you, but you better stay right there because if you don't know what's good for you, let us tell you. There's 30,000 people and they want to take you apart, limb by limb, finger by finger, toe by toe, mouth. We don't think that's a good idea, Paul. Hallelujah. Verse 35, when the town clerk, say the town clerk. Man, this guy had some wisdom. Town clerk had a piece of people. He said, you mean of Ephesus? What man is there that knoweth not how that the city of Ephesus is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Jupiter? That's why he starts this council meeting. Are you with me? He said, hey, everybody, you know, everybody in the world knows that this is Diana, you know, and they, they worship her. I mean, uh, don't, don't jump on Paul and them. I mean, he had, they hadn't stole from the temple, praise God. Hadn't done anything to hurt the goddess. Why are you so mad at Paul? It's a money thing. <coughs> Hello. He said, this town clerk stands up. He says, hey, you know, this goddess Diana fell down from heaven. Well, if, 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 if the goddess Diana was in heaven, I think I'd have dropped her down too. Because this goddess Diana here in Ephesus is not the beautiful goddess of the Greeks. This goddess here of Ephesus that heaven said, get rid of, <clears throat> is a goddess that is, that is hideous looking. At the bottom of her, she's, she's wound around like in a mummy cloth. She's got breasts all over her body producing or, or, or exalting productivity or fertility. She's a fertility goddess. But she's a grotesque, evil-looking goddess that he said got thrown out of heaven. I can understand why. And she's still over there. She's still in her little shrine there. Don't, don't be so upset. Verse 36, seeing that these things cannot be spoken against, you ought to be quiet and to do nothing rashly. For you have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers of churches, nor you yet blasphemers, uh, blasphemers of your goddess. This guy has some wisdom how to calm this crowd down. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which were with him have a matter against any man, the law is open and there is deputies, let them implead one another. But if you inquire and then concerning other matters, it shall be determined in lawful assembly. For we are in danger to be called in the question of this day of the uproar, there being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse. And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. He said, there in Roman law, you don't have a big uproar like that. The Roman government will invade there and take over. So we better shut this thing down and do this in a lawful way. And so he dismissed the assembly in that amphitheater. Give God some praise. So now we've got this adversity of the uproar of the crowd that wants to take this man apart. Thank God for a man like this who stands up and can calm the crowd. Even somebody in the world can be used by God. <coughs> and after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples, embraced them, and departed to go into Macedonia. So he went into Macedonia. 
Now, remember, keep in mind, he's still got Corinth working on him. All right? He goes over into Macedonia. Then we're up in here. Uh, right here. Macedonia. Okay, you with me here? Macedonia. He's going to go over to Troas. I can't see very good. Anyway, I'm taking too much time to even look at that. Are y'all with me here? My point is he goes over to Macedonia. Now, sit down. <laughs> Thank you. Now, he's got the mess in Corinth straightened out. How many of y'all were keeping notes? How many adversities, adversaries did we have there? No, there's about, there's, there's ten there. I just, I didn't put a number on the ones as I was going through it, but anyway. Hallelujah. Get the tape. <laughs> put on a number, whatever, put a number on whatever you want to. But I promise you there's ten we covered. He goes over into Macedonia. Now, he's already sent a letter, remember, to Corinth by Titus. Hello, somebody. Now, when he's in Macedonia, he hears about another problem in Corinth. Another problem. It is the Pharisees have invaded that area. <coughs> All right. And now what they're doing is, with the Pharisees, they are discrediting Paul's apostleship. And so he writes 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, I have preached it. I'm not here, but in, in Crane, I preached it verse by verse. It is my favorite book of Paul. Because it shows Paul's humanness. It shows you that at this point he is very depressed. He is very discouraged. He's fought all kinds of warfare. This man was in Ephesus for approximately three years. He went through more in three years than most men go through in a lifetime. And then he had to deal with Corinthian problems in the church. And he's depressed and he's discouraged and he's down. Now he's got Pharisees rising up in Corinth questioning his apostleship. And what are they doing? Well, they are saying, Paul, if he were a true apostle, remember he said he would come to you, but he hasn't come to you. He doesn't know what he's doing. That's what they were saying about Paul. He doesn't know what he's doing. You remember, he did say he was going to come, but then he changed his mind and didn't come. He just sent a letter to you. True apostles don't act like that. True apostles don't say one thing and then do another. Is their thinking. Some, are you with me? True apostles don't say, yes, I'm coming. And then say, no, I can't right now. I want to tarry here. He don't change his mind and say, I'm going to come over here. And then say, I'm going to tarry over here. If he were a true apostle. So Paul then addresses these Pharisees, and you can read it for yourself. He says, well, he said, my yes is Christ Jesus. You question my ability to make a decision, and you say that I changed my mind when I make that decision, and that I'm not a true apostle, but my yes is Christ Jesus. Read 2 Corinthians. Stupid, stupid people. Yeah. 
and then they, they raised the question about, well, you know, Paul, for, you know, he's been here in, in this Ephesus region and he's been sending people out to get an offering for Jerusalem. I want you to know that during this time, this third missionary journey, he was taking up an offering that was astonishing for the church in Jerusalem. And he said that he was going to take it to Jerusalem, but he hadn't even done that. So Paul writes him a letter, you know, that second letter. And he's talking about himself. He's very down right now. Very discouraged. Very depressed. Read it. To the point of wanting to die. Hello, somebody. Well, maybe we can put that in there if, as one of the adversities if you don't have 10. Read 2 Corinthians. You'll see the human side of Paul. A very powerful apostle of God. And after trying to answer all these accusations. Concerning his. See that's just like the devil. To rise up in religious flesh. To try to discredit a true apostle. Praise God. Oh God's God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This discouraged man gets a fire in him. This fire rises up in him. And he said, you want credentials? I'll give you credentials. You want me to prove my apostleship? I'll prove my apostleship. Now, I'm telling you, I, when I talk about these Pharisees here, I think these were believing Pharisees. I don't think that these were just Pharisees out in the world. I believe these were Pharisees in the church who didn't like what Paul was saying about the law. We've already covered that in Acts 15. And they're trying to discredit this apostle. Then Paul, again, the true Paul comes out in St. Corinthians chapter 11. He said, you want my credentials? I'll give you my credentials. Let's go over there and just look at that for just a moment, can we? Woo! Shalababahuke. I feel the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you. Woo, God's good. Now, I know I'm teaching this morning. If you want preaching, come tonight. Maybe God will let us preach. So in Macedonia, then he writes 2 Corinthians. Are y'all okay out there? <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The real Paul stands up. <coughs> Amen? All right, here we go. What to God? Here we go. Here we go. The real Paul standing up. Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly. And indeed bear with me. You know what he's saying? He's saying y'all are walking around acting like that you're just putting up with me. He said go ahead and just put up with me. You have to bear with me in my foolishness. Well go ahead and bear with me. The sarcasm is rising up in that man. 
the real apostle Paul standing up. Hallelujah. Wish he didn't have to just put up with me. <laughs> I love him. I love it. I'm telling you, this is, I love this book. I love 2 Corinthians. For I'm jealous over you with a godly jealous, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if he receives another spirit which you have not received, or another gospel which you have not accepted, you might be well bear with him. He said, I've been preaching you the truth. But somebody comes along and they're not preaching the truth. You'll put up with them, won't you? You'll bear with them. Yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll give in to the compromiser. I, we got that in Odessa, Texas right now. I'm telling you right now. There's a, there's a church right now in Odessa, Texas. I could call by name and I have no problem doing that. They're nothing but compromisers. They, they appeal to the flesh of men. And they know the truth. And they're getting a large crowd by not preaching anything. They've left here and gone there. I mean, I'm not jealous. I'm just telling you the truth. That's the way it is, honey. And I've sat down with a pastor and talked to him face to face about it. So I'm not afraid to do this to him. And, and oh, okay, come on. He said, you'll bear with somebody else. They don't preach the truth. But I stand up and preach the truth to you. The saving power of God in your life. But and you just got to put up with me. Hallelujah. Verse 5, he said, For I suppose I was not a whit behind the very chiefest of apostles. But though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. You know, one place he said, I'm just going to speak as an idiot. <laughs> I'm just going to stand up and talk to you right now. He said, I'm a chief of apostles. I speak like an idiot. By trying to present you my credentials trying to prove to you my ministry when I preach the word of God to you and you're in the house of God and you're in the kingdom of God I preach that word to you if I didn't preach the word to you I might be rude in speech I might be rude I might be crude I might be offensive but I declare to you the word of God that brought you into the kingdom of God now if you got to put up with me put up with me like, like I don't have to put up with you For I suppose I was not a whip behind the very chiefest of apostles. But though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge. We have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. Have I committed an offense and abasing myself that you might be exalted? Because I preach you the gospel of God freely. I mean, he says, you know what? I even worked for a living. You didn't even have to support me. He said, oh, God, God's good, isn't he? He said, I robbed other churches. They supported me, but you didn't support me. Other churches supported me so I could preach the gospel to you. He said, I robbed other churches taking wages of them to do you service. And you're trying to discredit me. And when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied in all things. I've kept myself from being burdensome unto you. And so will I keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting. In the region 
of Achaia. Wherefore, because I love you, not God knoweth, but what I do, that I will do, that I might cut off occasion from them, which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. See, they're walking around boasting like they're big dogs, putting down that apostle behind his back. See, and they think that really makes them somebody. That, that makes them a real man, you know, a real, per, real powerful person in God. Because they can stand behind the apostles' back and talk, give God some praise. <clears throat> but he's he standing up here. I love it. I love it. Go ahead, Paul. Go ahead, Paul. Tell it. Tell it, Paul. Amen. For such are false apostles. You want to know what they are? They're false apostles. Walk around talking about a true apostle behind his back. They're false. They're false. Deceitful workers transform themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no more for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness. Whose end shall be according to their works. See, they don't come to you like devils and demons talking false doctrine. They come to you with a mixture of truth. You put a little bit of a little bit of cyanide in a flu shot and a little you know what 75% of a good thing mixed with 25% of a bad thing will take you down and kill you. So they were mixing are you with me here? They were transforming themselves as apostles of light. But mixing it with just enough demonic heresy to take those people to hell and Paul said they're false apostles. He said you're putting up with them. And you got a problem with me. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. <clears throat> Watch this. He goes, he says this. I say again, let no man think me a fool. If otherwise yet as a fool, receive me. You think I'm a fool? Just receive me. <laughs> you think I'm an idiot? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, man. Come on. But say, I wouldn't have done that to Paul. Liar. That which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. He said, I'm talking like an idiot right now. Having to, having to, you know, stand up and declare my apostleship. Try Got to stand up and give you credentials. You are my credentials in God. I might, he says in one place, he said, I might not be an apostle to anybody else, but I'm an apostle to you because I, I preach the gospel first to you. And this guy's going through it, isn't he? I'm telling you, he went more through it more in three years than most men go through in a lifetime. Everybody smile. This is the real church. This is the real kingdom of God. This is what real men of God deal with and put up with and have to face. For you suffer if a man bring you into bondage. You let him do it. If a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face, you put up with that. Praise the Lord. I speak in, as concerning reproaches. Though we had been weak, 
Howbeit, whensoever any is bold, I speak foolishly. I'm bold also. I'm talking like an idiot again. <coughs> mm. Now, here we go. All right. You want my credentials? Now, are y'all all right out there? This is, this is right here in Acts. Just over Acts 20, right? St. Corinthians. The whole book. Because he wrote it when he was in Macedonia. Here we go. Let's get his credentials. Are they Hebrews? So am I. After the Israelites? Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the city of Abraham? Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. See, they claim to be ministers of Christ. Do you get that? Preachers. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. Here I go. I'm going to you again. I am more. And why does he say that? Because he's talking about what he's accomplished in the kingdom. He's saying, okay, they claim to have accomplished certain things. I've accomplished all of that and much more. What have you done? You think you, oh God. I'm telling you, he's standing up. He's, he's, he's something else right now. He's something else. He said, you think you're something. What have you done? Now, the reason why I'm preaching like I am, because you've got to get the tone. You've got to get the inflection of his voice. He's not standing up there like, well, bless you, little heart. God bless you today. I'm a fool. I'm a fool. I preach Christ to you. And, you know, you bear with them. They slap you, hit you in the face. But you can't, you won't bear with me, a true apostle. He didn't stand up there. You've got to get, well, you got to know where this man was coming from. Thank God he didn't show up in Corinth when all that mess was going on. You can read it. He said, I'd take your head off. And that's my paraphrase. You better thank God I sent Titus to you. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent. In deaths often. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often. In perils of waters. In perils of robbers. In perils of my own company. In perils by the heathen. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. In weariness. In painfulness. In watching often in hunger and thirst and fastings often in cold and nakedness beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily the care of all the churches you want my credentials there they are honey you got it now write it down you don't have to write it down I'll write it to you and I'll send it to you there they are God now Watch this. Look at this. Who is weak? I'm not weak. Who is offended? And I burn not. The question. Who is offended? And I burn not. It's a question mark. He didn't say I don't burn. He said, is it? And I burn not? No, he's, he's on fire right now. Oh, God. I, I don't know why I feel such an unction right now. I don't know why I feel this kind of authority right now upon me. But there's something powerful happening in this house right now. I'll tell you what it is. God's opened some of your eyeballs to reality and to truth. If I must needs glory, I will glory of things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forever, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Aris of the king kept the city of Damascus. 
Damascians with the garrison desirous to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket was I lit down by the wall and escaped in his hands. And then he goes on, he talks about, he says, hey, and I've got to go on here because I've got a little ways to go to get to Rome. But he said, not only that, here's all my credentials. But then he said, I can also show you my revelation. How God, God has revealed to me. And he said, because of the abundance of the revelation of God, that God gave him, God gave him a thorn in the side. And so in the context of this message that he's preaching, the context are these Pharisees that were following him around that were like thorns in his side. But God, but listen, he recognized that he couldn't do nothing about them. So he said, well, what I, what I got a revelation of was God said that he's going to use those thorns in my side to keep me humble so I can get more revelation from God and so that the power of Christ can rest upon me. He said, I can't do nothing about these false apostles and these men who are trying to discredit me. So God is using it to spread the gospel even further. <coughs> Powerful man. So I believe Paul's thorn in the flesh were these men. Thorns in his side. They were messengers of Satan. Buffeting Paul. But as a result of that, he walked in a place where God could use him. He walked in a place where the gospel went even further. He just threw up his hand and said, I can't do nothing about him. All I can do is present my credentials. I can present the revelation to you. I can't stop them. I can't kill them. God, and it's evident to me that God's not going to kill them. Because I asked God to get, get them out of my life. I asked God to get rid of them. I asked God to get the thorn out of my side. But he would not. He left them there. So if God's not going to kill them. And I can't do nothing with them or about them. I'm just going to let it just keep me in a. And so let me read a few scriptures, then I'll take you to Rome, all right? And when he had gone over those parts and given them much exhortation, came into Greece. And there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him, as was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. And there accompanied him into Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timotheus, and of Asia, Titicus, and Trophimus. These goings before tarried for us at Troas. With me? These going before tarried for us at Troas. Now, <clears throat> whenever you get over there into uh, Titus, etc., even the book of Acts, you will see that at this time in Corinth, we're talking about Corinth here, read the book of 1 Corinthians, Titus, etc., you will find that Paul was waiting for Titus to bring news of the response of the Corinthian church here in Troas. He didn't show up in Troas here so Paul goes over to where? Philippi. 
When he gets over there, Titus finally shows up. Says, hey, Paul, everything's okay. Hallelujah. But then, but then he's got to deal with this, these Pharisee dudes. And that's when he writes Second Corinthians. Okay. Are y'all okay out there? Hallelujah. <coughs> and so, but while he's, while he's in Troas, before he goes over to Philippi, he decides to preach to them a message. Now, he didn't start a church there in Troas, as far as I know. Maybe he did. But he, he says, you know what? I got to preach to you. And I've got to go tomorrow. I've got to leave tomorrow to go to Philippi. I miss it. Oh, it's early. Hallelujah. It's early. I've got to go to Philippi tomorrow. And I can't just hang around with you people here in Troas. So I think I'll preach to you. <clears throat> so he starts preaching. And he goes on. And he goes on. And he goes on. And he goes on. And he preaches through the night. And he goes on. And he goes on. And he goes on. And the Bible said that when Paul was long preaching. I have one thing in common. I said one thing in common with Paul. I'm a long-winded preacher. <coughs> and you know it. And he was long preaching. And a little young man by the name of Eutychus sitting over there in the window, man. Paul so long-winded, so long preaching, he goes to sleep. Hallelujah. Eutychus falls out of the window down from the third loft down to the ground. Paul runs down there. He says, you know what? You interrupted my message. He just lays on top of him. <clears throat> raises him from the dead. Brings him back up into the church. And he just starts, keeps on preaching right on from there. I tell you, that guy don't let nothing stop him. He, somebody dies. When you get tired, you get hungry, you feel like you're going to die. Tell you what we're going to do. You try to interrupt the service, we're just going to lay, out, lay hands on you, raise you from the dead, and we're just going to keep on preaching. Hallelujah. Because <coughs> we don't have much time left. We're short of time. we got to leave tomorrow. So i got to tell you everything I know in one day. <laughs> Hallelujah. I can hear the church in Troas. If Paul wasn't such a long-winded preacher, people wouldn't be dying like that. Paul wasn't such a long-winded preacher, we'd have souls come into church. Paul wasn't such a long-winded preacher, man. What's the poor guests going to think when they come to his church? Preaching for hour upon hour. What they going to do? They're going to get up and walk out. Well, that's okay if they get up and walk out, but you know better. My problem is not with the guests that come here and get tired and walk out. My problem is with people that know better. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Verse 11. When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long, talked a long while. Even till the break of day. So he departed. They brought the young man alive and weren't a not a, were not a little comforted. <sighs> Hallelujah. God's good. I, li I, I tell you what, I like that kind of church. I like that kind of church. Praise the Lord. See, I want to tell you something. Paul wasn't a preacher at preaching to Christianettes, sermonettes. He was an apostle preaching to true saints of God, long words from God. Woo! Woo! 
sermonettes are for Christianettes who hang with demonettes. <laughs> I'm having a good time. I, see, I, I, can, I can preach this. I can preach this. Preach this. Oh, yeah, the Bible says this. Okay, for Paul had determined to sell by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia. For he hasted, if it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And he gives them three prophecies about people entering into them. You know, sheep, basically wolves in sheep's clothing and um, preaching false doctrine to them. And some people rising up from their midst, seeking to draw people to themselves. They're going to go start their own works, you know. And all that stuff. And, and so he said, beware of those. He gives them three prophecies before he leaves Ephesus. They all stand around. They cry. This great apostle's leaving. They stand around. They cry because Paul's going. But he prophesied to him, And he preached to them for three years there with tears. Day and night. Preached them the gospel. Now it's time for him to go on now. And so he warns them about people rising up from their midst. About false doctrine and things like that. And you can read that in this, this particular chapter 20. Now, in closing, Paul is going to Jerusalem. Why? He's going to go from Jerusalem. Eventually, he's going to go to Rome. But uh, he's going to Corinth. Now, remember, we've got to get him in Corinth, right? Okay. He finally gets in Corinth. You can read it. Read these chapters down. I don't have time to read them all to you. Amen. But he goes on down through here, and he finally ends up in Corinth, and then he's going to go back up the same way he came. Are you all with me up to this point? He finally got there. Amen. <clears throat> but eventually again he's going to go to Jerusalem. Now everywhere he said he goes to preach. People are standing up. Prophets are standing up. And you're looking at a man who still believes in the fivefold ministry. I believe in apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers today. I don't believe that they are diminished. If they needed them then, they, they, we for sure need them now. <clears throat> so anyway... A prophets are rising up everywhere Paul's preaching. He's saying, when you go, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound. With me? <coughs> While he's over there in, uh, I believe it's Troas. You check me out on that, but I believe in Troas. He gets together with Philip. And Philip's got four young daughters. They're all prophetesses. Okay, so prophetesses. So I believe that this gifting can work in women too. Just read on down Acts 20, 21. Go on in there and read it. Okay. I believe in prophetesses. Women prophets. Okay. They were the daughters of Philip. And so they got together and had a good time. Make a long story shorter. Everywhere Paul went from this point on, he was warned of the storm that was awaiting him. When you get to Jerusalem, Paul, they're going to bind you. And one particular man comes down, and he, he is Agabus. He's a prophet. And he says, Paul, he takes the cloak of Paul, and he binds himself with the cloak of Paul. And he said, the man in whom this cloak belongs is going to be bound like this in Jerusalem. Now, watch this. God is using these prophets to tell Paul what's going to happen. But Paul responds this way. He said, I'm bound in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Which means this. And he only... He not only says that. He said, I'm not only willing to be bound, but he said, I'm willing to die. He said, I'm willing to die. 
I'm bound in spirit. Now God is using men to warn him about what's going to happen to him. He is not out of the will of God when he goes to Jerusalem. He is led by the spirit of God. He's bound by the spirit of God. But God is just telling him what's awaiting him. Which means you are to be led by the Spirit. I'm to be led by the Spirit. And even if God uses somebody to warn me about my future. If it's God's will for me to go into that danger. I've still got to go into that danger even knowing about the danger. The point is you're always led by the Spirit. Always led by the Spirit. Before you left on your trip. I knew what you were going into. I could have walked in. I could have told you all the stuff, the warfare you were going to be fighting. I knew what you were going to. But it was the will of God for you to go to there so you could be a witness there. And you went through a lot of stuff. But well, my point is this. If I had come to you and I said, sister, you're going to go through a lot when you go. If God is sending you, what my, I've told you in warning does not stop you from doing what God is sending you into. Listen to me. You've got to hear what I'm telling you right now. If your husband says, I believe we need to go here. If you've got the Holy Ghost in you, he is an authority over you. But you've got the Holy Ghost. If the Holy Ghost in you says no, you need to tell him no. Because if you don't tell him no, you're going you're gonna to push him right into hell by condoning the decision. Now, if the Holy Ghost in you says, yeah, uh, that's right. Go with him to this area. Then go. If your husband, come on, you know what I'm saying. Now, you go to your husband, you say, now husband, uh, we need to do this, we need to do that. If the Holy Ghost is not leading him, the Holy Ghost got to lead him too. You got, do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? It all boils down to being led by the Spirit. You can't condone the actions of other people just because they're trying to save their hide. You got to stand up and declare what God is saying. Hello. And that's what these prophets are doing. They're declaring what God is saying. But Paul is led from within by the Spirit. And he said, I'm bound in the Spirit to go. I'm not willing to just be bound here physically. I'm willing to die. Are y'all hearing me? That's, let, me just, let me clarify a little bit. I've had people come into the church from outside, especially when we were on Brazos, have words for me. Had words for me. They said, now, you know, you need to do this and you need to do that. And you're not doing this right. And you're not doing this right. I looked at him. I said, get out of here. <laughs> now, wasn't that rude? Well, they claim to have a word from God for me. I told them this. I said, let me tell you, God doesn't send my mail to your address. I said, so, you know, you might want to just pack your bags and go out of here. Because you're under a witchcraft spirit. You're sent here by the devil to, dis to distract me. If I went by every word that everybody ever spoke over me, I'd be a blooming idiot. I would. I'd have, I'd have lost my mind a long time ago. If I went by every word that every person had for me. About how I was supposed to do it. The way I was supposed to do it. What I was supposed to do. I'd go crazy. I mean every one of you in here have an opinion about how I should do it. <laughs> Praise God. And I appreciate you. 
But we got to do what God tells us to do, right? It's going to be risky, Pastor. You do that. It's going to be dangerous. We all, yeah. But God said, go forward. <clears throat> anyway, anyway. I think you got the point. You got the point. So, eventually, he goes over to Jerusalem. When he gets there, just read the Bible. Read Acts. When he gets to Jerusalem. See, Jerusalem is his ticket to Rome. Jerusalem is his ticket to figurative Babylon. He got a passion to go to Rome. He already said it. I already read it to you. He wants to go to Rome and preach the gospel. It's the largest Gentile population in the world. There's 400,000 Gentiles in Rome. This man is like, you know, he's going beside, he's beside himself. He can't wait to get into that territory. 400,000 Gentiles in Rome. He can... Now, by the way, he, when you read that he got to Corinth, and Corinth, he wrote a letter to the Romans preparing his way to go to Rome. So he wrote Romans from Corinth. And Galatians, by the way, from Corinth. Okay. He's preparing his, his journey, his trip. Hello. Woo! I feel good. I feel good. I'm almost through, I promise you. Y'all aren't anxious, are you? Don't have nothing to do anyway. <coughs> Just go home, fuss, and fight. He gets over in Jerusalem and just exactly what was prophesied took place. He is accused there when he gets there of taking Gentiles into the area that only Jews could go into in the temple precincts. Lie. They lied on him. There are Jews that are waiting for Paul to come in Jerusalem. They see him. They watch him. And then they lie on him. Hey, he took some Gentiles into that area of the temple. They're not supposed to take. Lied on him. Slandered him. And as a result of that, a huge crowd in Jerusalem gathered. They want to they kill him. Okay. Now, but what happens is God uses a Roman to intervene, grab Paul by the arm, drag him up in the Atonia. This mob's wanting to kill him. This Roman officer lights up a cigarette. Uh, no, that's, I added that. <laughs> no, no, no. What I'm saying is he dra drags Paul away from that crazy group, you know. And then Paul said, hey, I'd like to talk to him. Can I talk to him? Can I preach to him right here? And so that, that officer, just, he just stands over in the corner and he lets this, this Jewish man go at it. He don't know what's going on. He don't even know. He don't, I don't think he realized he's got a, a powerful apostle in his hands, you know. All he knows is that he's got a big mob. Remember, Romans don't like a bunch of confusion. But they're trying to shut it down before it gets too bad. So he's over there in Jerusalem. He's trying to shut this thing down before it gets out of hand. You know? So he grabs Paul, takes him up in the Antonian. Antonia, and he starts preaching there in the Antonian. He starts preaching in the Hebrew tongue to the Jews that are there. And as soon as he starts using that, it's Hebrew or Aramaic. It's, this, it's sort of Aramaic. It's sort of street Hebrew. He said something and he starts preaching to him, to these Jews in Jerusalem. Are did I lose y'all completely? We're, we're moving through a lot of territory, I know. And as soon as he starts preaching, he's preaching Hebrew in Hebrew language. He got their attention. Mm, this guy can talk Hebrew, preach Hebrew. Whoa, why? Listen to him. 
And so he preaches to him and he preaches to him. And the old officer standing over there with a cigarette lit. <laughs> Hallelujah. And he, Paul's doing real good and he's got their attention for a while. Until he starts talking about the Gentiles. About his need to go and preach the Gentiles. Well, remember what started this whole thing out was because he was blamed for taking Gentiles into the temple. And now he's talking about Gentiles. Whew, this must have been the, uh, uh, not Hillel, but uh, Shammai group that doesn't believe that Gentiles can come in the kingdom. And whoo, boy, they're about ready to tear him apart now. Because he's preaching about Gentiles coming in the kingdom. Hello? <laughs> he's protected by that Roman government. Make a long story shorter, there are 40 men in Jerusalem that are plotting his death. They put a curse on themselves. They say, we're going to kill this man. We're going to kill him. We put a curse on our head right now, declaring we're going to kill this man. If we don't kill this man, we will be cursed men. Now, God always has people in certain places. And the nephew of Paul is standing in the shadow, hearing these 40 men's plot to kill this man of God. So the nephew of Paul runs in and says, hey, Paul, they're plotting to kill you. I heard them. I overheard them. Hey, don't, you better watch out talking about a, a true man of God. Because God's got somebody that will overhear that. And if you're plotting to take him down and, take, and kill him, God's got somebody that will bring that message and that information to him to protect him. And so Paul said, okay, nephew, you go and tell the Roman government what their plans are. Woo! God's an awesome God. What you say in secret shall be shouted on the mountaintops. And so the Bible tells us, we got to get this Paul out of here because they're going to kill him by daylight if we don't get him out. So I think it was like 200 soldiers got together. Oh, praise God. They got, you got spearmen here. You got men on horseback. You got a large army. Let me just put it a small army. 200 men, you know, plus escorting a little old preacher to Caesarea, to Caesarea from Jerusalem. God's an awesome God, I'm telling you, isn't he? Raise up at least 200 men to protect a little old squeaky preacher. Got him out of town, took him to Caesarea. When he gets there, he's two years there. He goes before Felix. He goes before Festus. Eventually, he will go before Agrippa. Finally, after two years there in Caesarea, he makes a petition to go to, to Caesar. He said, you won't hear me, and you won't let me go free. You want to bribe uh, from the people that I preach to. You want to bribe. You want to keep me in house here, and you won't let me go free. So I appeal to Caesar. I'm a Roman citizen by the way so I appeal to Caesar and so what is the point here why is Paul going through all of this why does he go to Jerusalem and then let, let himself be captured in, or, or, uh, taken over to Caesarea and there for two years going before Festus and Felix and these various uh, leaders why is he doing that he's standing up for the church 
Because if he can get a judgment from Rome that it's okay for the Christians to preach. If he can get a judgment from Rome that it's okay for him to preach. Then everybody in the Christian church can go throughout Rome. And remember that old saying, all roads lead to Rome. And so everybody can, can then go forward and preach the gospel without uh, altercation. Without any hindrance. Uh, they can go lawfully and preach. So he's got to go through what he's going through and stand by in front of all these governors and go through this process for the church. He's doing it for the church. He loves the church. He loves God. He loves the people of God. He loves the kingdom of God. So he allows himself to go through all of that. He allowed himself to go through that for the church. Now some of you can relate to that because some of you suffer great things in trying to spread the gospel and you labor and work. Why do you do that? For the church and the kingdom of God. You got the heart of Paul. Give God praise. <clears throat> when he, he finally makes it to Babylon, figurative Babylon, Rome, he appealed to Caesar. Man, on the way to Rome, though, his ship falls apart. Oh, I'm, I'm covering ground. I'm doing just fine. It's early. His ship falls apart on the way to Rome. Gets involved in this big old storm. Yerachladen, man. I mean this big old hurricane type storm. The whole ship falls apart. He said, but God stood me, stood beside me this night. And he said, don't let anybody jump out of the boat. You stay in the boat. If you stay in the ship, then you can be saved. And over 200 men that were with Paul on that boat made it all the way to the shore on a little bit of piece, a little wood here and a little wood there. But at least they held on. They stayed in the ship. Stay in the church. I don't care what kind of storm comes against the church. If you stay in the church, then it might, it might, God. You might have to hang on a piece of wood, a, 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 a two by four or something if that ship comes apart. But at least you'll make it safe on the other side. And when they got over there on, on land because they listened to the word of this man of God and they stayed in the ship and did not jump out. They did not abandon the ship. Because of that they were saved. And there was a roll call that was taken over there on that island, you know. And they thought, well, the ship can't get him. So the snake got him, you know. The snake jumped out and got Paul on the, on the hand. He threw it off in the fire. He created his own fire and threw a serpent in the fire. They said if the, if the, if the water didn't get him, then the snake's going to get him. Hallelujah. But when, he, when they saw Paul shake that old devil into the fire that he made with his own hands, they said, this man must be a God. No, he just got God in him. And they sat there by that fire. And they read the roll call. And everybody that was on the ship with Paul, every one of them made it to the other side. I'm here to tell you that someday there's going to be a roll call on the other side. Don't get out of the ship. Stay in the ship. And there at the throne of God Almighty where the glory of God is seen. In that light of His glory, we will be seen there with Him. And the name Daniel Sanchez will come up. I made it. Man, the ship broke apart. But I didn't abandon ship. Roll call, Brother Patrick. I made it. I'm here. I made it to the other side. I'm 
on the other side. Made it through your rocket and made it through hell and high water. Made it through adversity. Made it through problems. But I made it on the other side. They finally gets over there uh, to Rome, and here comes some people greeting him. And the Apian Way, the Apian Way, walk up there. Paul gets up there. He says, hey, look, there's some of my brothers coming down to Rome. They're waiting for me right here in Rome. Praise God. He didn't start the church in Rome. The church was already vibrant and going, but he wanted to preach in Rome because there's so many Gentiles there. He said, look at there. Look at there. Oh, this is Apian Way. Look at this beautiful highway. I understand it's still there today. And they came walking up there and greeting Paul there in the Apian Way. Paul pays for his own house for two more years in Rome because Nero at that time was the Caesar over that part of the world, uh, over, over the world. Nero had a two-year waiting plan, two-year waiting time to get to him. So Paul says, I'll tell you what, I'll just pay for my own house. And he stepped there for two years in a hired house. There's still a prisoner though, still a prisoner there, tied or chained to the Praetorian Guard. Oh, give God praise. The Praetorian Guard. He writes the book of Philippians. In the book of Philippians, he also writes the book of Philemon there in this prison time. He writes Philippians. He writes Philemon. He explains to us in Philippians. He says, all this has happened to me for the furtherance of the gospel. He said, I did it for the defense of the gospel. He said, why I'm letting this happen is because. And why I allow myself to be chained here and in prison instead of out there preaching like I am. It's for the defense of the gospel and for the furtherance of the gospel. I just got to tell you why I'm here. And while he's sitting in that hired house, he's there for two years. And the Praetorian Guard, the bodyguard of Caesar himself. God's good. God's good. They chained the bodyguard to Paul. Now, I want you to know if you're a pagan and you're chained to an apostle named Paul, you're probably not going to be a pagan the next morning. This man is fired up full of the Holy Ghost. He's a man of God. They chained those Praetorian guards to him. He starts preaching the gospel. Do you know? And it tells us there in Philippians that the Praetorian guard came to Christ. The bodyguard that watched over Paul, he won multitudes of them to Jesus. Say they unlock one guard. He's now a Christian. He goes out, gets baptized in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Tradition even says, I don't know if it was his first imprisonment here in Rome or his second imprisonment in Rome, but where he was, that he would wait for a big old rainstorm to come and fill up that area where he was, and, and, and he would baptize people in Jesus' name in that. And no wonder he said in Philippians, rejoice! I say unto thee, rejoice in all things. He wrote that in a prison house and said, rejoice in God. He said, it doesn't matter if you're in prison. It doesn't matter what's going on. Rejoice! Uh, uh, the officer over this Praetorian guard walks up and he hears this guy speaking in tongues. Paul, you got another one. Give me another one, Sergeant. Bring in another guard, chaining to Paul. The officer walks up the next morning, he's speaking in tongues. Give me another one. 
chanted to Paul. The next morning he goes up there and that was speaking in tongues. <laughs> what an awesome sounder Paul was. Praise God. And the book of Acts, we'll, we'll start coming to a close there. What I'm preaching you right now is at the close of the book of Acts. In, in Rome, he's fi he finally made it to Rome. You look at it at the beginning of the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. Approximately 30 years have come and gone. From Jerusalem to Rome, the Messianic kingdom has come. All over the world, the gospel has been preached. So that even the Praetorian Guard is coming to God. Later in history, that same Praetorian Guard was posted in different parts of Europe, some in Sweden. Eusebius says this, beyond this history of the Bible, it tells Eusebius, a church historian, said that Paul preached the gospel. He was released from prison at this time, this first imprisonment. He preached the gospel to the extreme most parts of Rome. That would have taken him even to Scotland, possibly. So Paul preached all over Rome after he was released. And that Praetorian Guard, many of them went to Sweden. Many of them went to England. And even in England today, there, there are places, uh, memorials that are set up of these men who once were with Paul, who left Rome and went into like this other parts of Europe, into England, into Sweden, etc. And into Norway to preach the gospel. God's awesome. You never know who that person is you're winning to God. They may end up in Sweden or you're somewhere preaching the gospel in Taiwan somewhere. You never know. <laughs> Amen. In prison, he wrote Philemon. Of course, he had met a man, Onesimus, a slave of Philemon who escaped and left. And he wrote him a letter. He said, I want him to God too. Philemon, he was your slave. Now I give him back to you as a brother, not just a slave. So he sends him back. Okay, Paul is released later. Now, I'm beyond the book of Acts now. Hello, but I just got to give you the history. He's released out of that prison. Okay? Finally gets to go before. See, Nero. In about 66 AD, a man, that same man, Nero, begins to persecute the church. Now we've got a government system rising against the church. Nero burns the city of Rome. Is it the Rome? Is it Rome? Okay, thank you. He burns the city of Rome, but he blames it on the Christians in about A.D. 66. Now, remember at this point, Paul is a free man. When Nero blames the church for that, he immediately goes, Nero goes and gets the apostle Paul. He brings him back to Rome. In fact, the capture of Paul is so quick when they take him back to Rome. That he didn't even have time to reach up and get his coat. While he's in prison the second time in Rome, he writes Timothy. The letters of Timothy. He writes the letters, the letter of Titus. And in that letter, that second letter to Timothy, he says this. He said, winter's fixing to come. He said, bring my coat. They got him so fast, he, he left his coat. He left his books. He said, Timothy, come before winter and bring my coat and the parchments. I, I, if I'm being in prison here, I want to study. I want to pray. But I need a coat because wintertime is very cold. Didn't even have time to get his coat. 
shortly after he wrote that letter of 2 Timothy to his son Timothy in the faith. He wrote in that 2 Timothy book, he said, my departure is at hand. And the word departure literally means a ship going out in the sea. Shortly after he wrote that letter asking for his coat to be brought, they came and got the apostle Paul out of the prison in Rome. And they took him and they beheaded him for Christ Jesus so that he never saw his coat and he never saw wintertime again. But he died a faithful apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ that stand. Lord Jesus, that day that they came and got Paul, he looked at it as tugboats coming to get him, tying their ropes on his ship to take him out into the sea, take him into eternity to see you face to face. And there he died. A faithful apostle. I thank you today Jesus for the word of God. It encourages me. It helps me God to endure difficulties. That I think are large. But are really small. It helps me to understand Lord there's a price to be paid. For the spreading of the gospel. I thank you today, Jesus, that there is a door of effectual that has been opened unto us. There are many adversaries that would try to shut that door. But let us be faithful like the Apostle Paul. Let us finish our course and let us keep the faith. I pray for this church today, God, the saints that hear this word. That will be implanted in their hearts forever changing them. I thank you for this church that I pastor. Men and women of God who are hungry and thirsty for the truth. With a desire to spread the gospel. They use their time. They use their efforts. They use their finances. To see your kingdom established. They are your people. They have the heart of the early church. They have a passion for those that are in Babylon that need to be reached and brought out. I thank you, Lord, for the passion not only of the early church, but I thank you for the passion of this church. Use us for your glory and your honor, we pray. Forgive us our shortcomings. Cleanse us with your blood. And we pray we always be pleasing to you, Lord, that we would also finish our course. We keep the faith. And if someday, Lord, it comes time for us to be persecuted, to die for the faith, or even just to die, we pray, oh God, that there will be many, many saints that will meet us on that highway. That we'd have an abundant introduction and entrance on the other side. That's what we live for. That's what we should be desiring. 
And that's what we should have a passion for. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit today. Thank you for your awesome word today. Hallelujah. I rejoice. I rejoice. I rejoice. I rejoice. I rejoice. Does anybody have any questions? We covered a lot of territory this morning. Anybody have any questions? Did that message encourage you? It has encouraged me. It really has let me see things in a right perspective. And I thank God for it. God bless you. You're, you're dismissed. We'll see you tonight.